Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. I want to thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and as always, happy you're listening. Well, the first thing I need to do today is I need to apologize for episode 201 and effectively retract what I reported to you on there. Now, I think it's still a good theoretical discussion, but um, I took something to mean something that it didn't, and it led me to believe that that Supreme Court case was being reviewed by the um, uh, by SCOTUS, and it turns out it's not. So the article, just so you know what I'm talking about, the article that I've read was from AMAC, which is the Association of Mature American Citizens, and the headline reads, Supreme Court dockets Brunson v. Adams case that challenges the failure of Congress to investigate disputed electoral college votes. So when I read that, and then I read the article, it made it sound like that it was on the docket for the Supreme Court to hear it. And apparently that term is used um, not really to describe that, but to describe that they're going to uh, debate on whether or not to hear the case. So anyway, um, I I still think everything I said was fine. It's just that... um, I reported to you that um, the Supreme Court was going to hear the case, and apparently they've declined. As of today, Monday, uh, January 9th, they have declined to hear that case. So episode 201 and what I talked about in there is is just circumspect. It's theory. Uh, Turns out there's not going to be a hearing of that case, Brunson v. Adams, before the Supreme Court. Now, at least not now. Um, I suppose if one of the lower appellate courts gets it wrong somehow, uh, the Supreme Court may choose to hear it at that time. But as of right now, they're not going to hear that case. So I apologize for the misinformation. Here I am spreading misinformation and disinformation. Who, who would have thunk, right? But um, anyway, I don't think there's any harm in talking about what I talked about, especially since I've come back now and said that um, it's it's really just theoretical, the discussion that the Supreme Court's not going to be hearing that case. Um, the, the types of things that the Supreme Court does when it hears a case, though, is accurate. I mean, what I reported there and what they've done in the past is accurate. They just restate your claim and then rule on that. Well, all right, now that that's out of the way, what I'd like to do today, and I should have done it you know, right at the beginning of the year, is do like a year in review, you know, look at the top stories of 2022 and just kind of go over them briefly and then reference the episodes where we talked about it. So for me, you know, the biggest story of 2022 is Russia invading Ukraine. And I know we could just stop there, but really the bigger part of that story is the whole run-up to that that started, oh, 
back in 2014 where the United States really started to interfere with Ukraine, Ukraine elections, who was running Ukraine, things like that. So we have talked about all that, uh, but I want to reference the episodes um, where we discussed a number of different things about the run-up to the war in Ukraine and the United States' involvement. So if you have time and you want to do that, uh, revisit episodes 20, 36, 37, 42, and 45. And, you know, the thing about the, the thing about the war in Ukraine, and we really haven't talked about it really since Russia invaded Ukraine, because, you know, once the war started, it's going to do what it's going to do. I think we maybe had an episode in there where we talked about a potential off-ramp and how we should start negotiating for peace there immediately. But, I didn't have any illusions of that happening. I just thought that that was something we should do. But, um, you know, there's just a long, sordid history there. Um, but the way our news media talks about it is that, you know, we were just sitting around minding our own business, and so was Ukraine. And, you know, Russia, you know, Putin just, um, you know, started an unprovoked hot war. And that's just not the case. And if you go back and listen to those episodes, you you will understand why that's not the case. Um, now, incidentally, um, there's been some rumblings about Russia wanting to uh, negotiate a peace. And this has kind of been leaked through the media. And this is kind of how they, they it's kind of like dogs sniffing each other's butts. This is the way they kind of, decide whether or not, you know, we should sit down and talk. They float stories out there and each other's media and the, the diplomats pick it up and bring it to the leaders and discuss it and so on and so forth. And these stories were floated out. But, but what, what was interesting about this is that um, Ukraine quickly came out and said, yeah, you know, we would love to negotiate uh, peace with Russia. But uh, the starting point for us in Ukraine is evacuate all Russian forces from all Ukrainian territory. Presumably that meant uh, the Crimean Peninsula as well. And then that, that was the first uh, criteria. The second criteria was that Russia was going to have to submit themselves to war crimes tribunals. And, you know... This is basically just like saying, no, I don't want to negotiate. <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what that's all about. So obviously there's not going to be any kind of negotiated peace anytime soon. Uh, especially, you know, I think the United States uh, position is that Putin has to be booted out of office. You know, they're in it for regime change, you know, because that's worked so well in the past. Uh, that we are going to that playbook again. And so I, I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, Russia's economy is really not suffering at all as a result of this war. Uh, the only people that are suffering are the people in Ukraine and and us for having to pay for all this stuff. But um, there's a lot of people, a lot of suffering in Ukraine. 
and a lot of civilians are being killed and of course their infrastructure is being wiped out there's a lot of a lot of death a lot of destruction a lot of damage um, to the global economy and to the energy sector um, I think that's probably the biggest hit and now that we're you know solidly in winter uh, we're probably going to start seeing how this is going to impact Europe you know Europe is already buying I mean truckloads and truckloads and truckloads of coal um, from South America and South Africa and all this is being shipped up and railed up into Europe from from all the way through the for, from the bottom of the continent in Africa all the way across the Mediterranean Sea into Europe. And so Europe this winter is going to be burning coal, which is obviously not, not clean, to produce electricity and heat for their people. And so um, this is just an unmitigated disaster, this war in Ukraine. And, you know, I talk about it a lot in those handful of episodes, but really haven't talked about it since because there's not much to say about it other than it's, it continues. And, um, you know, there needs to be an out for all parties and just doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. All right. The, the second biggest story. Now these, these are stories that are big in my opinion. Okay. They're not necessarily, uh, maybe the way you would rank them. The reason I rank war at the top is because there's it's so unnecessary and it's so unproductive and uh, a lot of times uh, innovations in war end up coming back to bite us domestically i mean just look at the war on terror you know we have patriot act and uh, the nsa spying on us and just all this stuff as a result of the war on terror but this is very typical of war. So that's one of the reasons I think war 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 ends up being a huge imposition on liberty domestically, especially after it's been going on for a while. All right, the second story that I want to talk about is Trump. And you know, Trump is is it's really something because um you know, this country really you didn't have all this election uh, discrepancy and really all this until, until, you know, the, the deep state or the permanent state or whatever you want to call it really started to show its colors after Trump was elected. And it became clear that, um, many, many people within the permanent state are willing to use the power of the state to, um, criminalize their enemies. And I think this is one of the reasons Trump is such a big story. Now, specifically the story I'm talking about is Mar-a-Lago, the, the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago. But you could really look at Trump as just this large arc in history where a group of people, I, I guess a fairly large group of people, felt like it's okay to use the state against its political enemies. And this is a, a real departure uh, from the American experience. And I, I don't think it can be overstated 
that uh, this is going to lead to real problems um, in continuing the United States of America, in my opinion. Now, that may take, may take another 20 years. I mean, I, I, I said a long time ago, I thought Trump was the beginning of something, not the end of something. So we're, we're at the very leading edge of something that could take five years, five more years, 10 more years, 30 more years. I don't know, but there's going to be a lot of angst as a result of uh, this cabal of people using the power of the state, specifically the laws of the state. I mean, look at January 6th. Look at all these people in jail are basically innocent. There's a handful of people, maybe a dozen or two that should be in jail as a result of that. But then there's no investigation into the FBI's role. Uh, we know, for example, that the FBI uh, set up the uh, kidnapping of Gretchen Whitmer. That's a matter of record in, in the court of law. So it's not that far of a stretch to, to think that the FBI had something to do with uh, uh, the events that took place on January 6th. And it's also not far to... It's not a far stretch to believe that, given the fact that this guy, Ray Epps, is basically non-existent in the January 6th committee um, investigations. So there's just no will on the part of uh, the kind of the, the, the political class to investigate who Ray Epps is, what his role is or was, and what the FBI's role was in uh, instigating January 6th. So I think I think Trump in general, uh, Mar-a-Lago more specifically, was just unprecedented. I mean, you never had, um, uh, a, a, you know, a group, uh, you know, a president being raided. Um, it's just unprecedented activity by the FBI, and it's 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 poking the finger in the eye of a huge part of the electorate in the United States of America, and. And this is this is like laying down the gauntlet, right? I mean, these these two groups. I mean, again, in the past, Republicans have been pretty mild. You know, they lose, they go away. I mean, we we talked about this in Dinesh D'Souza's show, um, where he made that case. You know, Republicans really don't complain about elections that much. You know, historically, it's usually the Democrats that do, but. Just this whole experience with Trump has really changed uh, the Republican side of the electorate to the point where they're very suspicious of the state now, and uh, and and it's almost unbelievable. But but Trump is is the current front runner for twenty twenty four, so this has done nothing really to kind of quell the dissent on the Republican side of the aisle. And, you know, the other thing I will say about Mar-a-Lago, which is interesting, is it's just disappeared from the news cycle. Nobody's talking about Mar-a-Lago anymore. There was going to be some sort of special master that was going to investigate. um, And there's just nothing. Crickets. It's just disappeared from the media talking points. All right. The next story, I think, that is just a huge story is inflation. You know, this country hasn't experienced the kind of inflation uh, 
that we're experiencing since the 70s and 80s. In fact, many people alive today have not experienced the kind of inflation that this country is experiencing. And I just think that's, uh, I just think that's, you know, a big story. Uh, it impacts a lot of people, and it's very, very difficult on families and people working and paying Social Security-type wages. Uh, so people that uh, are taxed via the payroll and are having to pay and live in this economy. So I did a number of episodes on inflation, and I think, um, I think it's probably worthwhile to go back and listen to these. Um, these are episodes 12, 38, episode 40, 67, 69, 70, and 147. All of those episodes were on inflation. And, um, you know, just as a reminder here, inflation, the definition of inflation is an expansion of the money supply and or credit by by the uh, monetary authority, in this case, the Federal Reserve. Um, the CPI is, is nothing, a lot of people think inflation is CPI, but CPI is just a tool that the Fed created to uh, monitor the effects of inflation in the real economy. But even that tool is, is bogus. I mean, they substitute things in and out, um, the reality is, in a, in a vibrant economy where goods and services are being produced in increasing quantities year after year after year because of an increasing group of people are being born and use the economy, prices generally go down. I mean, you can look at things where the government's not so involved, like TVs and uh, electronics in general. Prices go down over time, and that's that's a feature of uh, an economy without an expanding money supply and with an expanding base of production. So, I, you know, go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, they were pretty popular, as I, as I recall, and entertaining. And, I, you know, the, the geek in me really comes out because, you know, I just love talking about that stuff. And I've, I've got like a Robert Reich one where we you know, he talks about inflation and we slap those, you know, his comments down and, and, and kind of point out the fallacies in his thinking. And, uh, there's some really good episodes in there on inflation. Um, now the fourth story that I want to bring up and I, you know, I'm really kind of torn, uh, on this one. In fact, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up COVID first because I think COVID uh, and specifically the cracks in COVID were huge in 2022. Um, I think this is where we started to find out. Some people found out in 2021 uh, they were kind of on the leading edge. You know, there was just barely information coming out in 2021. But in 2022, we had some unbelievable things happen. Um, and I talk about these things in episode 75, 100, um, 108, 146, 148, and 178. 
but it all really started in episodes 15 and 16 where I covered Dr. Robert Malone on Joe Rogan's show. And Dr. Malone was really beginning to poke holes in uh, the quote-unquote vaccines, the, the gene therapy treatments that Pfizer and Moderna uh, basically unleashed on the entire world after COVID itself was unleashed on the whole world. Um, and we started to see things like, in these episodes, I talk about the 40% excess deaths reported by insurance companies. We profile uh, the documentary Died Suddenly, which I thought did a pretty good job of pointing out some things that were only showing up in autopsies, which is unfortunate, but that's the way things are kind of unfolding. Uh, we There's episodes in there where we talk about Peter McCullough, where we talk about um, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his book and all the things that he uncovered, uh, not just on Dr. Fauci, but on uh, Bill Gates and his ilk, you know, the people that he's aligned with, which include the World Economic Forum. I mean, the thing about COVID is it's really just this worldwide kind of, um, you know, censorship deal, um, you know, vaccine alignment. It, it just really was a bizarre thing. And we really began to see the initial cracks in the COVID regime. Um, you know, studies started to come out about lockdowns were, you know, horrible and children are, you know, at least one year, in some cases, two years behind in development, there's just all kinds of horror stories uh, that were uncovered in 2022 that were related to COVID. And we talked about many of those uh, on the program. And I just think that's one of the most, it's just an incredible, COVID in general is an incredible story, but what has happened in 2022 is incredible because it's it's really starting to um, show some negative results, like negative health results, negative uh, results with education, negative mental health results. Uh, there's just a lot of fallout from COVID, and it may be decades before we really are able to quantify um, this this just disaster of a of a health response, uh, not just in the United States, but globally. I mean, you look at Australia, Australia's birth rate was down like 70%. I mean, that is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. So I think I had to put COVID next. Uh, that would be number four. So number five, I'm going to switch back. I had this written as number four, but I switched it here at the last minute. And that is the uh, Roe v. Wade being struck down by the Supreme Court. I just, um, I just, I just didn't think that was ever going to happen. And the irony of the fact that um, uh, Donald Trump was at the center of that, really, with his Supreme Court appointees, is extraordinary. I mean, he spent um, four years as president, but not really. I mean. One of the cases I make about Trump is that his presidency was just stolen from him. He was just hounded incessantly by permanent Washington. 
And maybe the single most important thing he did, uh, looking back on his presidency, given that he was hounded like crazy the whole time, is his uh, federal court appointments. And certainly that's the case when you look at something like Roe v. Wade. Now, we've talked about Roe v. Wade. I know Roe v. Wade is is something that, um, you know, abortion is something that Americans are divided on. Uh, but we've, we've talked about how that in most states, nothing really changed, right? You can go get an abortion in California just like you could before Roe v. Wade. You can go get an abortion in New York just like you get, could before Roe v. Wade. There are some states um, that had trigger laws where it immediately became um, illegal, uh, but then the state legislatures in most of those states were quick to um, put something into law at the legislative level uh, to allow abortion in those states under restrictions, which is, again, the only thing that's different now is the restrictions vary a lot from state to state. But other than that, you can still get an abortion if you really want one. Now, I don't think that's such a great idea. I mean, to me, that it's a life, and that's just the way I feel about it. But a lot of people disagree with me, and some actually libertarians are in that group uh, that disagree. So um, I, I think... I think something like federalism is the best way for us to disagree. If we disagree uh, about something vehemently, what we shouldn't do is try to force that down everybody's throats at the national level. We should kick things back to the states. And if people feel very, really strongly about it, they can move to this state or that state. And we can, we can all have what we want, right? That's the beauty of federalism. All right, um, see, that was five. Um, the sixth story that I want to talk about today, because it was another just crazy deal where the culture war, where we just clashed in the culture war. Uh, by the way, the episode on abortion, I think I only did one. It was episode one, seven, uh, excuse me, 71, episode 71. All right. Now, getting back to uh, the next story of 2022 is uh, critical race theory. And it's not critical race theory per se. It's how the culture received it. And I think it's important to remember how this came about. If you recall, a lot of students were being, were being schooled at home, right? Be- because it was COVID. And parents got to uh, see what they were teaching in school. (laughs) And it was a lot of this, you know, you should be ashamed if you're white and, uh, you know, you're a victim if you're black and a lot of this kind of talk. And so parents started going to uh, school board meetings and just raised complete hell over all this. And uh, it was a big deal, right? I mean, um, uh, the DOJ started calling some of these parents domestic terrorists and just all this crazy stuff, you know. And it, it all started uh, with this... Uh, now, critical race theory, just to recap, is a, is a, it, it's, it stems from something called critical theory, 
which is a legal theory that looks at, um, you know, systemic issues in the law that explain, you know, everything really. I mean, that's the problem with this theory is it's supposed to explain why, you know, certain people are disadvantaged and why, and of course you can find exceptions to this always and everywhere, but it, it, it was confined basically in the legal realm and the, in the, in the higher education realm. But the 1619 project was, was the thing that really kind of launched this into a curriculum around the, the country. And so we talk about the 1619 project. We talked about critical race theory. Uh, and you can go back and visit those episodes nine and 10 uh, for, you know, for more background on all of that. But I, I thought the, the fallout from CRT and, and COVID and the school board meetings was really interesting because, again, it showed how the state is just willing to label people that they disagree with as enemies of the state and criminals. And I think this is just something new. This is a new phenomenon post-Trump. And so there's, there's threads of this post-Trump stuff running all through, um, you know, our year in review here. But uh, I think Trump really, uh, his, his existence in the presidency and uh, in the run-up to, um, to his election and all that, really, um, he, he was such a, according to the left, such a, a, a unique evil that, that the ends justified the means, right? I mean, get rid of Trump, doesn't matter what you have to do. You can use the FBI, you can use the NSA, you can use whatever you need to use to get rid of Trump. You can jail his supporters. <laughs> I mean, you can call them domestic terrorists. Uh, you can call them white supremacists. I mean, this thread runs through so many stories that happened in 2022. And, um, you know, another one is uh, censorship. And one of the things that we found out now, we many of us suspected this for a long time, that that uh, uh, social media was being, uh, you know, the thumb was being put on the scale of social media in the favor of Democrats and liberals. But in 2022, we got to unmask all that because Elon Musk and some of his investors purchased Twitter, which is unbelievable, really, when you think about it. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this happen ever. Uh, and, you know, he started talking about it early in, or maybe it was late in 2021, about how Twitter was effectively the town square. And he, he felt like that it was necessary to be able to speak on Twitter. And then, and then for t- Twitter to be trusted, a trusted source of information. And then, um, you know, I think we played the episode where, you know, he basically made the comment, you know, technically I can afford it. You know, the guy said, are you going to buy Twitter? Or do you want to buy Twitter? And he said, well, technically I can afford it. So we, we cover that episode. And, and by the way, the episodes that are related to this censorship being unmasked are episodes uh, 64, 65, 68, 169, 
180 and 189. And the reason I had a lot of episodes on this is because, you know, once he bought the company, then he said, Hey, I'm going to reveal everything. So we've had these Twitter files. Um, there's just been a lot to talk about, uh, with respect to Twitter and, and how it relates to the first amendment and also how it relates to the government's willingness to use, you know, an agent to suppress free speech in America, which is really unprecedented. I mean, this is a, uh, I think we found out recently that, that the FBI paid Twitter roughly $3.4 million um, for their time and their cost associated with this effort. And it, it's just really an unprecedented story. And I think it's got to be in the list of uh, stories from 2022. All right. Well, the last one is more of a, a libertarian indulgence. Uh, and, and some of many of you are not going to care about this, but, um, the Mises caucus took control of the libertarian national party this past spring in Reno. And this was a significant deal because the libertarian party had really succumbed to wokeness. Their messaging was all about it was just like, it was almost like the democratic messaging. It was about race. It was about wokeness. It was about, um, privilege and things like this. And it really started, um, maybe eight years ago or so. And, um, uh, you know, the Mises caucus, which was started by a guy named Michael Heiss really said, Hey, that's enough of that. You know, back in 2016, they said, we're going to change that. So um, the Mises Caucus, for which I'm a member, uh, basically did a lot of recruiting in all the different states, uh, brought people, new people to the party um, that paid dues and, and all this stuff and organized. And we went to the national convention and we unseated the leadership there. Now, the reason this all took place, uh, in addition to the fact that, you know, there was all this woke talk, um, the reason it took place is because there are people in the party, me included, that feel like that that the party uh, should be interested in the president, okay, the president and the vice president, but only from a messaging standpoint. I, I don't, me, or really nobody else in the party believes that the libertarian candidate could win. Now I'm going to vote for the libertarian candidate, uh, but we felt like that we weren't uh, we weren't putting good libertarian candidates up there that really knew how to message, and that's really that's really the opportunity for the libertarian party is to put somebody in there, somebody like a Dave Smith or a Tom Woods or somebody that that can message really well. Um, to America, because when you're running for president, you get a big microphone. And uh, right now, a lot of us are just talking to each other. And if you if you have a really good candidate for president, one that really understands liberty, property, and really understands the, the issues in America. And I'm not talking about the issues that the Republicans and Democrats are talking about. I'm talking about the issues that we talk about on this program, the Federal Reserve, um, the attacks on liberty and freedom speech, 
uh, fundamental liberties that we have in this country. And so um, the libertarian, what I like about Michael Heiss is his focus is on the, the libertarian president and vice president. And then the rest of their focus is on all local stuff. You know, your city council, your sheriff, um, people at the county level, all that, where you can really make changes uh, for liberty. And, and, then, and then message at the very top. So, again, that's just for my indulgence that that makes the top uh, eight uh, stories of 2022. I hope you've enjoyed this year in review. And um, I hope, I hope you, you know, some of these stories resonate with you. And uh, look, you know, come back. If you like the show, share the show, write, write a review. But uh, like I say, always, the most important thing is to come back to listen. And of course, if you do that, I'll be here tomorrow to do it all over again. <laughs>